This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Good afternoon. This is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post, who's in the columns Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And Sunday, I'm on WABC from 1 to 2. And because this is the end of the year coming up, I'm into psychics. So here's a guy called John Cohan, who has psyched for me for like 35 years, every year's end. And here is John Cohan's 2023 predictions. He says there will be a scandal. The XHRH Prince Harry's nude photos, which were taken in his college days, are beginning to circulate. So we don't have to wonder what Mimi Megan sees in him because we will also be able to see what Mimi Megan sees in him. He says that Hoda Kotby and Savannah Guthrie will feud on television. And what will happen, this I don't know, he didn't say, but the bosses will step in. Cher has an infant lover, or has had, fizzles. Instead, she has found a new career and an older guy. This is all the psychic, not me. The Bobby Cannavales will be beginning a talk show, and they will become hot, and they will become TV's burbled about couple. Justin Bieber, he will now make movies. He will begin to show acting talent, and his health improves with new meds. Michael Douglas is not feeling terrifically well all the time, and according to the psychic, in the next year, he will retire from making motion pictures. Lisa Marie Presley is into Mother Dolores Hart's Connecticut convent. It's to pull her life together. Remember Jackie Mason, the comedian? Well, he has an unacknowledged daughter, illegitimate, by the name of Sheba. We all, we in the business know Sheba, and she is beginning to tell all in a bestseller, she hopes, book. She doesn't talk about it or didn't while he was around Jackie Mason, but she is going to tell all in the book. Connie Stevens is now in her mid-80s, and she is in a nursing home. The family is intervening to ensure her protection. Okay, Tom Cruise. This is not anymore the psychic. This is what I happen to know. Tom Cruise was jumping from a plane in Africa to wish everyone a safe holiday. Easier would have been if he sent a card, but this is what he did. Chrissy Teigen, Teigen, Tugan, however you pronounce it, and the husband, John Legend, were feeding the homeless in L.A., 
It's wonderful to do it. They always do it. And there's always photographers and reporters around while they are feeding the homeless. Reese Witherspoon is doing an all-white tree with tinsel for an all-white Christmas. And very pregnant Blake Lively is posing in PJs with her husband Ryan Reynolds. And Mr. and Mrs. Claus are in the picture that they're sending to friends. There is a guy called Dax Shepard. He's schlepping around dressing as the Grinch. And Kristen Bell donated 250,000 diapers to Baby to Baby Charity. Wait, I got more. Padma Lakshmi. With that name, she is cooking Turkish delicacies. Kiki Palmer is making vegan bacon quiche. What that is, I don't know, but thank God she didn't invite me. Martha Stewart was at Baccarat unveiling something called a Palladian tree. What this is, who knows, but you have to figure cheap it isn't. Listen, I went into history. Christmas, 1642. Isaac Newton, remember him? He got born on December 26, 1923. The Tropic of Cancer novelist H.G. Wells, born December 26, 1923. I got delayed. I was due on Christmas, but I arrived a half hour late. Weed alert. I want you to be aware of, I'm telling you, of a weed alert, particularly at the holidays now, when we're all getting loose with maybe drinking a bit. There was a poodle in my neighborhood who picked something off the curb. A half hour later, the poodle fell over. He collapsed. He had ingested cannabis stubs. The vet took him in and watched him over two days before he could regain his normal routine. The thing is, kids, we have to be careful. Cannabis is all over. It's on the streets. It's in the curbs. And you must watch your animals. Here's a story, by the way, that happened to me years ago. On WABC television, I was on for years and years and years with uh, Sue Simmons. And... She had a Yorkie. She used to have a little weed every now and then. She went into a closed room, closed the door, and she was smoking. The dog fell over. So I'm just telling you to watch it. I'm telling you, be careful. You may be enjoying. Your dog may be failing. And it's a busy holiday now in the air. I know about a woman who was rushed into ER. The medics handled her quickly. They gift-wrapped her. Now, in line with peace on earth, goodwill toward men, Larry Amoros is a joke writer who was behind some top jokers like Joan Rivers. He got suspended just now at Facebook, 60 days. He violated their high levels, which was, you can't tell a joke about Donald Trump being a Hitler. They threw him out. He says, this joke is more dangerous than the lies and hate 
thrown up by the right-wing crazies. But if you complain to hate Facebook, he says, I'll give you $11.57. I have set up a super PAC. I will be back. I now have to go on getting a few bucks for the radio station, and then I'm right back. Radio 77, WABC. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I am about to speak to Andrew Gruel. He's a food entrepreneur. He is the founder of Slapfish Restaurant Group that has more restaurants out on the West Coast than McDonald's. So I would like to know, how does such a high-class graduate of Johnson and Wales University, why'd you become a chef? It was my calling. My last name is Gruel. I knew I had to do it. <laughs> You've done that joke before, I'll bet. I'll bet you've done that joke before. That's good. Tell me your background. Where do you come from? I'm from New Jersey. Uh, I went to college, small liberal arts college up in Maine. And while I was going to school, I was spending more time in restaurants and lobstering than I was in class. So I ended up leaving college and going on a culinary whirlwind tour, learning as much as I could from chefs all over. Ultimately ended up back at Johnson & Wales and then found my way into the entrepreneurial side about 10 or 15 years later to open up um, multiple restaurants. And here I am. Were you a big fat eater as a kid? I loved food, but I grew up uh, as part of that microwave generation. So I didn't have parents, you know, rolling pasta on a Tuesday night with me um, while my grandmother sat around in the background. It was here's $20 and here's a microwave dinner. Press the buttons and you're good to go. So I learned out of necessity. I loved food. I just didn't know how to do it, how to cook it. So. It's Christmas, and everybody says there are special foods you need for Christmas. I don't know what the special foods are. What What are we supposed to cook or serve or make for Christmas? Well, I mean, obviously, it's the season of roast. Um, you know, traditionally, the, the, the standing prime rib roast. However, I've been talking for years about the various offcuts, if you want to call it that, uh, that you can make roasts out of that are even more flavorful, more tender, and most importantly, less expensive than things like the prime rib roast. So, you know, whether you're talking about a pork shoulder roast or a round, uh, the London broil, tri-tip, ball tip, any of these off cuts are really great to play around with during the holiday season. And you get an opportunity to taste different seasonings and still serve a large group of people with a five to 10 pound cut of meat. A high-class chef like you, did you ever louse up making a dinner? Yeah, I mean, that's how I make a living. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of, of food, like music, is, is that you learn the standards and you learn the basic framework, and then you improv over that. And, you know, the mere act of improvisation gives anybody the opportunity to turn a failure into, into something incredibly successful within seconds. Well, tell me, what do you do if you're making a dinner and let's say it's a restaurant and some diner sends food back 
I don't understand why they do that, but they do do that. How do you handle well, it? Obviously. I mean, obviously, we, we, there's the kind of old school trope that chefs, it's my way or the highway, but we yeah. all make mistakes and we all mess up. So, I, you know, I've kind of tried to shatter that notion and understand where the guest is coming from with all the new dietary restrictions, which many of them, if not most of them, are legitimate. You've got to be pretty sensitive to people's food taste, but they still want to go out to eat. So try and fix the problem. And if you learn that it's not one of those problems that's there to be fixed, and more so a problem diner, right, which is another option where the diner comes in ready to complain, ready to serve their food yeah, back. Yeah. Well, then I just have fun with them. That's the improvisation I'm talking about. It's a, like a little Bach counterpoint. We go back and forth on uh, making each other angry. <laughs> That's funny, but can you maybe explain it a little? How do you go back and forth? I uh, What you're saying is interesting, but I don't understand it. How do you do it? Well, if somebody says that their their steak is uh, undercooked and they want it cooked a little bit more, then I usually just take it to the extreme. I take the highway all the way up to well done. And, uh, you know, if, they, if, then it's, if then if it's too well done, well, then they're getting back that original steak. <laughs> oh, that, now I understand. Now I understand. There's another thing that I have always noticed. I'm a restaurant freak. I go to restaurants all the time. I don't think anyone in New York can live without being in a restaurant seven nights a week. So be patient with my question. Why do they say chefs are temperamental? They're like pains in the ass. Why do they say that? <laughs> well, we are um, because we're typically in a, an environment for 12 to 16 hours a day that doesn't see sunlight um, and festers a lot of high pressure and tempers. The restaurant industry in general, I call it the pirate ship, right? People coming together who are really, you know, unique artists with lots of different personality traits, all in a pressure-filled environment to get the perfect food out in a short period of time. And it can create a an emotional experience, an emotional environment. Um, you know, we live and breathe by the ticket machine. Things are very, very fast paced. So throw all of those elements together, and you kind of have the perfect storm of of uh, of not just anger and emotions, but also also on the flip side, the elation. Right, just the ability to have a perfect service one night is equivalent to winning an Olympic gold medal, which you only get that opportunity <laughs> once every four years. What is your breakfast? What do you start your day with? Well, I have four kids. Um, so, you know, I start my day with a Xanax. And from there, no, I'm joking. I, I <laughs> yeah. kid, I kid. Okay, um, okay. You know, you know we, we, we're, we're pretty simple, right? So eggs, um, bacon, the kids love cooking too. Um, and my kids range in ages from 2 to 12. So uh, there's obviously varying degrees of, of skill there. But, you know, eggs, bacon, avocado, tomatoes, we do a little bit of the American meat, uh, you know, English breakfast. We just don't do the beans and toast. I don't understand all the newfound healthy food stuff. There's healthy food. There's dietetic food. There's organic food. There's other. How do you determine how to run anything with the crazy situations with people today? <laughs> well, I think it's more about from a restaurant perspective, just being transparent, right? Because you are correct. There's no way you can please everybody. And if you try and create a restaurant that tends to everybody's dietary restrictions or needs, then 
you're never going to, I mean, there's not enough square footage to be able to do so from a refrigeration space perspective. So I say just be as transparent as possible with the ingredients, with your messaging, nothing to be hidden here. There's really no culinary secrets as many people think there are. And from there, you allow the diners to kind of pick and choose as, as they go. I don't understand. That's a nice, wonderfully, perfectly prepared answer, but it doesn't help me. I don't understand. What is organic food? What is health food? What is all of that? Well, unfortunately, those are labels, and those are labels that have been created by the the government in order to try and compartmentalize our foods, and then people go after those labels. It's a pay-to-play scheme. At its inherent nature, you know, organic food is food that hasn't been treated and tainted with pesticides and various chemicals, of which there are many in our food systems now. They even they even suggest that the lowering rates of um, testosterone and um, the risk of not being able to reproduce as a result of the forever chemicals in our foods over the past 20 to 30 years. So organic as a label is one in which you look at and you say, okay, well, this is a clean food that doesn't have all those chemicals in it. The unfortunate reality is that's not always the case because like many, um, you know, kind of regulatory programs, there's always ways and, you know, back doors and loopholes to get out of it. But if you do love the organic lifestyle, and I put that in air quotes, I think the real way in which you can kind of live that day in and day out is going to local farmers markets, finding out where your food comes from, and making more mindful decisions about your food, whether it's sustainable seafood, whether it's where your meat comes from, grass-fed, grain-fed, the grain might be non-GMO. But, uh, you know, that's what I look at. I don't look at the hard labels and the edges. I look at kind of the general calculus behind how I pick the foods that I either serve my guests or I serve myself and my family. Who the hell can do all that? that? Who's got time? We have to breathe. We have to clean a house. We have to call our, our loved ones. Who's got the time to find out all of this stuff? What is an HMO? What is a dietary? What is a... I can't do all that. I just want, give me a steak, give me a couple of glasses of wine, give me a potato, and get the hell out of here. I don't understand <laughs> all that you have to do. You're talking about a lifestyle here. It is a lifestyle, but, you know, that's the fun part of it. It's not necessarily about the time. It's about slowly learning over time, but also creating relationships with people who do have the time to give it to you in quick sound bites, so that at least you know you go into an establishment, you want your potato, your steak, and your wine, who the hell cares where it's coming from? At least you know that they have a philosophy behind their, the way in which they purchase their products. So you're good. You're riding their umbrella policy. What about fat? Are you fat? No, I'm a buck sixty and I'm five ten. Oh, that's not bad. What are you doing Thursday? <laughs> I'm just being friendly. Okay. What about tipping? How do you feel about tipping? You mean eating potato chips? No, I mean very funny. No, I mean about giving. A 20% or something more than that to your server? Look, number one, I don't believe in a tipped wage, I'll be honest with you. So I think that with, that servers and anybody in the restaurant industry should be making a full wage. And then that decreases the need and the onus and the pressure on the guest to have to tip 15, 20, 25%. If they got a full regular hourly wage that wasn't relying on the tips, any tip would be very much appreciated. I think we this. I don't like the direction of this industry where now it's it's obligatory to tip twenty percent, twenty five percent, thirty percent, because all you're really doing is transferring the pressure from the business owner to the guest. New York is built on restaurants. I'm going to ask you one question before I I allow you to get rid of me. Did you ever get a lousy review anywhere? 
I did. I did. Um, many times. <laughs> tell me. Tell me. Oh, I'm so happy. Tell me. Tell me. <laughs> I have gotten lousy reviews. Um, and, you know, I've gotten lousy reviews pre-social media and post-social media. And I bring that up because, you know, post-social media, I think we've all become a little bit – we've gotten thicker skin to these negative reviews because if you go on Yelp or any of these social media websites, pretty much everybody's going to trash you even if they don't like your eye color. But the old school reviews where you wait for the restaurant, um, you know, reviewer to come in and they finally come in and they give you a review. I remember I opened a restaurant and the, it was a celebrity owned restaurant and they pushed for the reviewer to come in way too early. The kitchen wasn't ready. And I got a hard, well, I didn't get a horrible review, but it was like two out of five stars, which by that reviewer standard wasn't awful, but still way lower than I wanted. Four out of five would have been enough. Five out of five would have been okay. Six out of five would have been perfect. But uh, you know, and and the review itself was clearly pre-written before they came in there because they knew that it was a restaurant that wasn't ready to be opening and that we hadn't gotten our legs underneath us. And it was just, you know, kind of fill in the blanks. And ever since then, you know, I sleep with a picture of that restaurant reviewer next to my bed and I throw darts at it. And that was 15 years ago. I want to tell you, I'm going to go to one of your restaurants the next time out. I'm on the West Coast. And I thank you very much for talking to me. I enjoyed the conversation, Andrew. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I appreciate it. Thanks, honey. Bye. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm going to speak to Ossie Wind. The name is Israeli. The guy is Israeli. He has been called, as a joke, the greatest show guy you never heard of but from the magicians the pros he is the greatest magician they have all seen today i saw him i loved him i want to tell you about him first tell me asi your beginnings in israel where do you come from i'm from a city called hulon but uh, to simplify to people i usually say tel aviv it makes uh, life easier but it's basically it's an adjacent city to Tel Aviv. It's the fourth biggest city in Israel. Why did you, I mean, I know why, but how and when <laughs> did you come here? I came here in 2001, a few uh, months before the, the World Trade Center was hit, um, which was crazy. Uh, you know, I came here because as far as opportunities to do my magic, to meet my mentors, uh, to expose myself to a larger crowd, it was just the right thing for me to do. And, you know, it, it comes with a price, you know, being away from the parents, away from my country. So that's a bit of a, a con, but nothing I can do about it. It's, you know, a decision. Is there a magician school in Israel? Do they do this kind of sleight of hand in Israel? I can call it a school, but there, you know, magic, as of today, there's not really a proper way to learn it that you go to college and you master, you know, magic. It's really about mentorship. It's about making connections with, with people that you admire. And, you know, there's something really amazing about magic that the brotherhood of magicians is unbelievable. Like, I, I once went to Bangkok by myself. I was alone. And I put on Facebook, hey, guys, any magicians in the area? Within an hour, there were 20 magicians in the lobby. And we brainstormed until like 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. And as if we knew each other forever. And I met him for the first time. So there's, 
that's pretty much how magicians learn. They, they learn from, you know, conventions, gatherings, jamming. Um, there's lots of books and lots of videos and whatnot, but there isn't really a proper school where you can go, oh, I, I'm going to Hogwarts, I'm going to learn magic. It doesn't exist yet. But somehow it's like sex. Everyone wants to be able to do it. <laughs> I'm not sure you, you, anybody can. You have to be dexterous. Your fingers have to be nimble. I've seen magicians all over the world. I'm a magician freak. I love to watch it. <laughs> but don't they right. ever screw up? Don't you ever F up? Well, uh, you want the honest answer? To try? <laughs> well, yeah, give me a semi-honest answer. I'm friendly. Go ahead. You know, it's funny because it's not so much, look, I'm going to get into trouble every now and then. It's inevitable, just life. And it's, it's, it's funny because it's the same lesson that we all experience as human beings, right? Every one of us will experience some hiccups, some bumps on the road. It's really about how you get out of them. So it's very similar in magic. You, you can hit, you know, a hiccup and, or a mistake or whatnot. And then you need to find your way out of it. So an experienced <laughs> magician can have a mistake in a show, and you will not even know about it because he will massage it. He will find a way out. And the more experienced you are, the smoother it will be and less noticeable it will be by, by the audience. So that, that's pretty much the, the yeah, I, I make mistakes all the time. But I'm very good at faking it that I did not make any mistakes. So what we're talking kind of like about an illusion within an illusion. Yeah. What we're talking about is professional BS. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I'm not a musician, but I think some musicians, for example, they can sometimes go, you know, out of tune or out of key yeah. and slowly kind of like go back to it and it's almost they can notice it but no one else would. Before I go into all of your various tricks and stuff. Why do they call this, why do you call it, the greatest show you've never heard of? It's a funny title, but why do you say that? This show is my debut, I think, to the public. It's the first, because, you know, for 15 years or so, I've been kind of like under the radar, underground magician, meaning I did some private, you know, high-end events and so forth, but I never put myself in the forefront. Uh, I helped David Blaine with his specials, with the ABC specials, yeah, yes, and then yes. with his live tour. So yeah. I was not really at the front. And this is the first time I said, this is it. I'm going to be doing a show for the public. So magicians and the people who've seen me, they knew I could, you know, I could deliver. <laughs> and now it's, you know, my opportunity to show it to to the masses, to as many people as possible. Well, I know you've been on Penn and Teller and you've surprised them and you've done a lot of other TV shows. How, how, where did you start? With what trick? It's always cards. For the rest of my life, I'm going to see a magician do cards. Why is that? You know, I think cards is like what the, the p piano me might mean to a musician. Like, I know a musician from Israel, you know, he plays the guitar. And every time he composes a piece of uh, music, he goes to the piano. Because the layout of a piano... <clears throat> the way you have all the, the keys and that, it's organized in such a way that, again, I'm not a musician, but that's what he told me, that it's easier for him to compose on a piano versus a guitar. So I think the, the, uh, the um, a deck of cards is the grand piano of a magician. 
You okay. can do endless effects and ideas with a deck. It's endless. You know, it's, it's just the variety you can create with a deck of cards is unbelievable. And then the second thing, and this may, might surprise you, handing a deck of cards is addictive. It's, a, it's like a fixation of the fingers and moving them around and fanning them and shuffling them. It's really, there's something very um, medita- meditative about it. And I think that's part of why magicians really love it. They love the endless possibilities, and they really love how a deck of cards can fill in your hands. It's tactile. That's it's what... tactile. I understand it. Tell me about... Yeah. I don't know if I should ask this, but, but didn't you surprise Penn and Teller with some trick? If am, am I correct or wrong? No, you're correct. So I, I've known Penetor for a long time. They've been, you know, they're friends. And uh, many, many times backstage, I would do magic with them when they go, you just fooled us 17 times in a row. Why don't you do the show? Come do, fool us, the show. And I said, you know, I have a problem. I love you. I love, you know, everything you do. But I don't like the idea of coming to a show and trying to fool you. I just, it's just against my you know, what I believe in. Magic is not about fooling people, for me. So one day they called me and said, hey, we're going to change the format of the show for you and a few people that we want to have on the show. And they did a Christmas special where you don't need to fool them. Do whatever you want and just do your magic. And I know, and then they said, uh, the show, you know, we didn't know what's coming. We didn't even predict the, uh, the plot, let alone the method. So yes, I fooled them, but I gotta tell you something. Yeah. I don't I don't care about fooling people. You know what I care about? I care about making people experience feeling something. Uh I want them to go home and say, you know what, I don't even care how it's done. I I, I felt something magnificent, beautiful. To me that's a, a higher, you know, something to to aspire for. So to oh, me, please, I don't care how anything. I wanted to do. <laughs> don't give me all that BS. I mean, you were wonderful. You were dexterous. You. you were absolutely, you had the audience mesmerized. Appreciate Go back to the old days. How? Where did you start? Where? In the United States. What did you do? So the way I started, look, I came here as a tourist. I came to America. You know, I was, I was, I had a dream to live in New York. But I came as a tourist, and my English was terrible. I couldn't, I could barely form a sentence. And I walk in New York City, and I'm falling in love. It's like it's it's if I walked into a movie set. I recognize it from movies, from sitcoms. And no one will hire me, you know. I, I'm, I'm like, I want to stay here. How do I do that? So I went to Washington Square Park, and I started doing street magic, you know, by the fountain there. Yeah. And I. It was terrible. <laughs> I could barely <laughs> gather a crowd around me. But, you know, I really was determined. I wanted to stay here. So I slowly got better and better. I started doing a show called Monday Night Magic, which is an off-Broadway show. And then I got a gig for another gig, another gig, and slowly starting, you know, making a name for myself, at least in the, you know, bar mitzvah circuit and then high-end corporate events and so forth. It, it was a struggle. It was a real struggle, but I enjoyed every second of it. I really loved it. Tell me, did you ever F up? F as in F. Did you ever <laughs> F up? In what? A trick, you mean? Yeah. Well, what else? What am I talking about? A girl? <laughs> of course. A trick. A trick. 
Tell me. <laughs> you see, both are relevant. Um, so I, I tell you something. I, I, you know, you you have to make mistakes. I think if you don't make mistakes, you're either lying or you're not working enough. <laughs> I think it's it's really important to screw up every now and then because that's where growth happens. You make a mistake, go back to the boarding, you know, and, and start thinking, okay, what can I have done? You know, go back in time. What could I have done differently? How could I avoid that mistake? And you're learning. I'm learning all the time. I mean, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm becoming better at creating the illusion that I did not screw up. That's, that's pretty much what I'm getting better at. But, you know, mistakes are inevitable. It's part of life. And you, you, you just, you learn, I accept them. I don't, you know, I'm not afraid of mistakes anymore. I don't care. You know, I do workshops for magicians every now and then. And they say, you know, what happens if you, you make a mistake and, this, and you can see the fear in their eyes? And I said to them, so what? So you screwed up a car trick. Who cares? The world will continue. Okay, okay. I really don't need to listen to you (laughs) saying all this because most of it is BS. I don't care. What I really want to know is, do your hands ever get cold? Are your fingers chapped? Do you have to use hand lotion? How does it work? Because I have tried to do so many of these things, I can't even deal the cards. They fall from my fingers. So there must be a dexterous ability that you have that people like me do not have yeah but you know again it's you know that's my normal i i just know but yeah you're right about the cold like for example in israel it's very warm and when i moved to america you know in the winter i remember i was heading to a gig i didn't have gloves and i came to the gig i could not move my fingers because they were freezing i had to go to the bathroom and like warm my hands for like 20 minutes under you know warm water you need to take care of your hands you need to practice non-stop there's some moves, if I don't rehearse it like 20, it's called the shift. If I don't do it 20 minutes before the show, like a couple of times, I'm rusty. You have to, I'm a whole, like I'm talking to you right now. I have a deck of cards in my hand. It's, it's constant, constant, constant practice. The cards become an extension of your fingers. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a fixation and it's, it's, uh, it's obsessive. Tell me about a time you screwed up because I'm, I'm, I'm actually fascinated with magicians. I love them and I adore them. And you're not bad looking, so altogether the whole thing was wonderful <laughs> watching you. But tell, tell me a, a screw up and, and how you fix I'll tell it. You a screw, I'll tell you a big screw up. I didn't really fix it, but I, I kind of booked myself around it. So I'll tell you what I did. There's a guy who booked me to do uh, a walk around gig that's basically you strolling around doing a, a trick tricks to, to like 25, six, seven people at a time. Yeah. And he wanted me to do a specific trick that he really liked. But I didn't, I didn't bring what I needed to bring to do that trick. In other words, I, I screwed up by not bringing my apparatus, my tricks. Yeah. So I said, ah, it's okay. He's not going to even notice. It's a walk around. He's going to be busy, busy with his guests. He's not going to see that I am not doing the trick he wanted me to do. But he was a different kind of host. He came to me, he says, okay, come with me. And he started introducing me to every group. And he goes, can you do that trick you showed me the other day? And, I'm, and I can't do it. I just can't. And I say, oh, I, I keep it for later. That's my, you know, my grand finale. I do it at the end. And the whole night, every now and then he says, can you do that trick? I said, oh, you just missed it. I just did it for like, people. You missed it. <laughs> and all night I tell him, you missed it. You missed it. And people start talking about the trick, and I'm never doing it. 
but they're talking about the trick I've never done. <laughs> okay. Again, okay. sometimes we just have to do it. If you're as talented as you are, and you are, can you make Joe Biden disappear? You know what? I, so <laughs> here's, here's my thing about politics. I, my job as a performer, you know, I have my opinions. You have your opinions. I want people to come to my theater, have fun, forget about the world and the problems we endure on a day-to-day basis. I'm, I want to offer them an escape from all the BS from all the biocracies. The truth is I'm not happy with anybody. That's the truth. Uh, I think everybody could do better. And my goal, and it's for me the biggest goal, is if one for a second just treats people like people and appreciate that everybody has an opinion, everybody believes in something, and respect it. To me, oh, forget it. Oh, no, please don't goal. listen. To, well, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> you're too great. Tell everybody now where the theater is that you're working so they can come see you. Tell us. So I'm performing at the Jackson Theater. This is on 243 uh, Thompson Street. We basically took an empty room and we transformed it into the most intimate close-up theater in, in New York, maybe in the world. And if people want to come, have their mind blown, have laugh, you know, laugh their, you know, their ass off, and have a good time if for 80 minutes or so. I would love to see them there. It's called Inner Circle, and it's at the Judson Theater. Thank you. I'm talking to Ossie Wind. He is magnificent. He is the most fabulous magician you're going to see. He lies to me sure. half the time about whatever I ask, but I love him dearly. <laughs> I think you're the greatest, Ossie. Thank you for coming over, honey. Hey, of course. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. I joined the Navy to serve my country while parachuting with my platoon. My parachute didn't open, and I broke my neck. Thanks to PVA, Paralyzed Veterans are getting specialized medical care and treatments, the jobs they want, and the accessible vehicles and homes they need. I just don't think my family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Learn more at pva.org. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's Frank BrunoLaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I want to wish goodwill to all tidings. Brian Williams' daughter, Allison, is playing a creepy Dr. Frankenstein in a movie called Megan. She says, we have created a robot to be a guardian when a sister and a brother-in-law die. It's a misfit household with a child, an adult, and a robot. It's creepy. Yeah, nice, lovely, holiday, God-blessed film. It's out. Way out. It's in theaters this week. January 6th is the opening. Wait, I got more. Will Smith of whom you may have heard. He has now just gone through alligator-invested 
swamps, a hurricane, and 400 background actors tested daily for COVID for his new film, which is titled Emancipation. What's it about? It's about an escapee from a spiritual advisor. People had a hard time with this on the set. Says Will, you know, I thought I was more prepared for the story than I actually was. The verbal abuse, the physical violence, called the N-word in this movie, Emancipation, hearing myself called that a hundred times a day, took its toll. I was up to my neck in a swamp in part of the movie, but it nearly did me in. Okay, so we can now forget his smacking, Chris Rock. Listen, all right already with Christmas cards imprinted with a dog's paw. I'm tired of seeing that and cats on your card, plus strangers who type long, endless letters about their lives all year long. Basically, who cares? And shove adding your six-year-old's name to the card because he, she, or it doesn't even know who we are. Also, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I won't even open those crappy, cheapo email things that are sent. I want to tell you a little bit about Robert De Niro's earlier break-in. It was in the 80s. Before he had his own place, his home was Central Park West's old Mayflower Hotel. Everyone there was an out-of-work actor, all desperate to meet De Niro. One night, a wannabe actor, who was jacked up on drugs, wanted him to finance a floating actor's studio that would work out of the Hudson River. Well, Today, it didn't work, of course, and nobody even went through the idea. But this nut job is probably out working a slow boat up the river. Listen, I want to tell you something that just happened to me. Arlene Kayat, you won't know who she is, but she is a columnist on a weekly Our Town newspaper, which prints on the Upper East Side of New York. She and I accidentally, we're not sure how it happened, got helplessly caught in the scruff of thousands of bodies that were jamming Rock Center's tree. We couldn't get out, we couldn't move, we couldn't cross the street, we couldn't breathe. Cops recognizing me wouldn't even let me cross the street. We couldn't call anybody, we couldn't find our car, we couldn't get out of people elbowing us, we couldn't cross the street. We were pinioned and we were terrified. Eventually, crossing 50th and 5th, Pushing east, we found a restaurant called the Empire Steakhouse. It took us in. It rescued us. It fed us. And I'm on the air now to say I'm grateful. Dinner was delicious, but we were terrified. And if it weren't for them, who knows where we'd be now. Back to Christmas. Buying gifts is difficult. It's like getting something for someone you know well enough to borrow from but not well enough to lend to. I'm just telling you that that's a lot of us in New York, kids. A lot of us only in New York. Wherever you are, 
I want to thank you all for listening to me. It's been a hard year for lots of us in New York, in the United States, in the world. We've had the pandemic. We've had poverty. We've had homeless. We've had unemployment. It's been difficult for us all, not just because I'm sitting here on the air, but I've had my bad times too. I just want to thank you all for listening, and I wish you all a much, much happier, healthier, and better New Year. Thank you all for listening. This is Cindy Adams. Bye. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.